Hello, hello. Welcome to Words and Voices, a little sanctuary, a quiet nook where you'll hear hard, raw, and humbling conversations with some of the best humans elevating humanity. This is for the round pegs and square holes, the misfits, oddballs, weirdos, tinkerers, and thinkers who dig a simple philosophy that one word, one message, one idea, and one voice can change the world. So, without further ado, here's our chief mischief maker, Neelam Tawar. Welcome to Neelam's two-part interview with Landon Porter, who specializes in teaching business owners how to build their client base by using relationships rather than being salesy. In part one, they discuss Landon's concept of positive indifference, as well as the idea of focusing on value-based goals. Hey, Landon, how are you? I'm well. How are you today? Not too bad. It's morning here, and I know it's evening-ish for you. Evening-ish. Yep. A world away. A world away, and yet we're connected. Mm-hmm. So, sir, so I have to ask you, what got you smoking the pipe? Tonight or way back when? Way back whenever. So I started smoking cigarettes when I was 12. And in my, I think I was 30. For my 30th birthday, I went and bought a briar tobacco pipe. And another part of it is, is when my grandfather died, I got all of his pipes and all of his stuff. Right. But the tobacco that came with it was like 20 years old and it was crap. And uh, there's a really good tobacco store here that's been here. Like, I think I think I was probably five or six years old. And I went in with my grandfather one time and I just happened to be there. It was around my birthday. I think it was my 30th. I stopped in and bought myself a pipe and some tobacco and I actually quit smoking cigarettes, smoking pipe tobacco. So I've been smoking pipe tobacco for like 12 years now. I wish people could see Landon, which you will if you go looking around for him. He's got such a majestic presence. Thank you. You do. Have I never said that to you before? Maybe not in those words, but yeah. Cool. Thank you for receiving it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So is it any, I have to ask one more question before I move on. Is it any better than smoking a cigarette? Is it has it got any health benefit or does it like just screw up your lungs much faster? Well, it's not filtered and the tobacco is quite a bit heavier. It doesn't typically, depends on the tobacco you smoke, but it doesn't have as many chemicals in it as cigarettes. But I wouldn't say it's got any health benefits. <laughs> it's some of the pipe tobacco smells better than cigarettes. That's for sure. Yeah. Every time I've seen any anyone with, with a pipe, it just reminds me of Sherlock Holmes. I don't know why. Just have this mental image of someone solving mysteries and just figuring out the nuances of life, which I think that part does, I feel like, kind of add up to my image of you. Hmm. And I just feel like, you remember the first time I ever messaged you, right? I was borderline trepidatious sending you an email asking to chat with me. And I was also the same kind of trepidatious, childish kind of like, I don't know what it is. I I don't even know if it's fear. It's just like, what if he just like wonders why I'm inviting him to my podcast? Mm -hmm. And I've always found that some of the best people in the world are, or in my little time on the planet at least, right? They have a presence. They fully embody who they are, of course, and they're in their element and in their own understanding of who they are. But I've also found that these people actually are very approachable, kind, and humble. You do have that quality. And how do you stay in that space of keeping those healthy boundaries and and still being accessible to people so that, you know, we don't miss each other, for the lack of a better phrase, that, you know, you just 
I don't, whether I don't approach you or you turn me down for maybe the communication wasn't right or something like that. How do you give people like the benefit of the doubt or how do you set those boundaries? So I have for many years had quite a large audience on the internet and you'd be surprised how few people actually reach out. And part of that is because of the message that I tend to roll with. When I first started doing my business and had an audience, it was excessive. And so I began positioning that I'm busy and, you know, don't message me pictures of, you know, stupid nonsense and stuff like that. And over time, the role that I played in that first original business, the positioning that I used kept a huge majority of people from reaching out. And therefore the people that do reach out, I always communicate with back and forth a few times just to kind of get a sense of, you know, what they're thinking and where they're at and like that. It doesn't happen quite as much as I think you might think it does because of the way I've positioned myself. So the people that have the courage to actually reach out and connect me, right, without any previous back and forth somewhere, I tend to follow up with and get to know. And it's kind of like that. I do have people reach out on occasion that I don't really want to communicate with and no response is a solid response sometimes. That's the truth. That latter part is so difficult for me sometimes because I have this weird philosophy of I don't like leaving messages seen and not responded to. Mm -hmm. And I've always maintained the philosophy that if I'm going to look at something, I have to reply within a couple of hours of it. That's something new for me. I think I might keep that in my arsenal every now and then as well. But I think the word there is courage, right? Because I think I would definitely say that when I'd reach out to you initially a while back, I'd been watching your work and I'd listened to one of one of your interviews on a podcast. And I was like, dude, this guy uses words like awesome sauce, yo, and cool. And I use them behind the scenes. I just never put it out there in my general approach. He's so cool. And then because we're in this like online world, we're also, I think like the BS meter at some point in this time frame does become more heightened. So we're always looking, I'm always looking to see who's really what they're saying they are and who is just like shooting the breeze. Mm -hmm. Did you ever feel like you had to make sure that you, you just behave the way you behave, like you're just who you are, but do you ever find yourself like in the beginning stages where you ever second guessing yourself when you were putting yourself out there or talking about who you are? Because clearly, right, we both are a brand of weird (laughs) that are not for everybody. But how does that show up in your world? And not just from a business perspective, but just being a human that genuinely does want to connect with people, is highly introverted. One of the qualities you and I share as well. And But how do you show up? Like, how do you show up without feeling like, am I saying too much? Am I saying too little? And does this mean I'm going to get 50 people emailing me that I don't want to deal with? Like, does any of that happen in the beginning stages, especially? So this whole online venture for me and putting myself out there in that kind of way was really new when I started doing it. I was a sales guy for 15 years. So calling several hundred people a day that I didn't know was like, that was the way it went. But even at the very beginning of that, like, that's just weird. It's not normal. It's not familiar. Like it's so outside of what feels normal that it's weird. But like, once I got over that in the sales world, it was nothing to call a stranger on the phone. Right. But that's one-on-one. 
even if you talk to the person that answers the phone and they transfer you to somebody else and they transfer you to somebody else and eventually, right? Even if you talk to five people, it's only five people. Go do a Facebook Live on Facebook or LinkedIn or put a video out on YouTube or be on a podcast, right? It's one to many at that point. And yeah, early on, it was it was the same kind of weird. And really what it comes down to for me is, is I am super comfortable in my own skin. So even when I'm in a situation where I'm outside of my depth, right? It's just me at the end of the day. My opinion of me is what's most important. So yeah, I'm a talker, right? Sometimes I say too much and I don't beat myself up for it. But yeah, putting yourself out there and being open in a sense, regardless of how authentic you're trying to be or what you're trying to be or how you're trying to come off, putting yourself out there the first few times until you get comfortable with it is a little bit nerve wracking. And yes, when you put yourself out there like that, there are people that reach out and sometimes that's a good thing. And sometimes that's a lesson thing. And how I deal with that is, is I'm just always me, right? And for better, or for worse, in this present moment, I'm going to be who I'm going to be. And hopefully other people enjoy that. I'm upright and breathing and, and alive. And this is awesome. Right? So if I say something, or if, if, if I entice somebody to reach out to me, and it's not somebody that I want to deal with, like, it is what it is. I love seeing your posts all the time. I think it speaks to something you articulate, like, for me, the many things you say that I love, I love this concept of positive indifference. Mm -hmm. Can you just share that with other people in your words because i don't want to fumble sure so positive indifference is a psychological and emotional stance that we use in sales to remove ourselves from the desire of a specific outcome and the way that i typically explain what positive indifference is is all of us can remember when we were in junior high or high school or even college there's always those couple of kids that are super laid back and they're really, really popular and they're really, really nice and kind and everybody loves them, right? They have this weird state or stance or beingness about them where everybody wants it and they're not trying to get anybody to take it, right? It's that positive indifference. It's the cure for neediness is what positive indifference is, right? Many people have said that every conversation is a sales conversation, whether you're selling a product or a service or your opinion, every conversation is a sales conversation. And the vast majority of people that are operating in the world where they have to deal with other people are trying to get their way. And some of us are really good at it. And some of us are really not good at it. And the difference there typically is the individual who's really good about getting their way, they don't care if they get their way or not. And so they're able to convey that message in such a way where they don't put the other person off, right? Positive indifference is a way to keep your cool and get what you want most of the time in a non-salesy kind of way. So the first time when I heard you say that, the way I translated it for myself was when I first uh, read the Gita, which is the, I think it's not so religious as it is a philosophy that's taught via the book. It is a little repetitive, 
But when I first discovered that piece of writing, I was going through my own personal like question mark of what the heck am I doing in this world? Why am I here? I'd just been laid off. I don't know whether it was fired or laid off or it was a mutual separation. I can't remember at this stage. But I remember exactly where I was in my apartment in New York City. And I remember pulling the Gita down. There was a version of it that I always traveled with from high school days, carried it with me when I was in England and wherever. Wherever I went, basically, it, it stayed with me. And what I found fascinating in, in its teaching was it talked about the art of detachment and focusing on the work. And of course, it was a philosophy that was entrenched in words like Dharma that you know people use very carelessly these days because it's on T-shirts with Vedic fonts and... Uh, used in quote-unquote woke yoga communities and whatnot. And I don't know if we've ever shared my views on all of that extra that's out there. <laughs> but, extra. Uh, extra, exactly. Exactly. Extra that's out there. And I'm just like, how are we getting into this pop culture of not just appropriation, but then why are we going to this point where the pendulum has to swing so far right that we have to accept everybody in every state in whatever mindset they have or whatever they're preaching? And I'm not trying to say that freedom of expression should be curtailed because that's a fundamental right. I'm not going there with this, but I'm just trying to wrap my head around, like, how did we as a society swing that far? Everybody deserves the same trophy regardless. Exactly. So I think detachment was the closest I could get to when I heard that word, that expression, positive indifference. And I was like, well, this puts into context some of the things I've been trying to learn as well in general, right? Because it's not just Yes, we can talk about it in our businesses and whatnot, but I also talk about it in life, right? Because the bigger things we might be working on and we have goals like, oh, I want to help these many people, you know, with my life. And by the time, you know, we have all these goals. And one of my favorite things that you also talk about, I'm going to tail, you know, like taper this in as well into that concept is this idea of value-based goals versus thinking about life in terms of outcome. Because I think the outcome-based definitely, if I looked at it from a spiritual context, it definitely speaks to more materialistic desires and you know other desires we might carry as human beings. But then when you talk about value-based goals, I just was like, I loved it. I think it also put some of those other core teachings that I have been following from like, texts, uh, whether it's Veda or Buddhist principles or other things that I read. I love that you talk about that too. Want to tell us more? Mm -hmm. So humans as a species by and large have been trained to achieve, right? Achieve a thing that demonstrates that you're good enough. The big car, the big house, the pile of money, right? And it's all under the guise of typically doing good or impacting people in the world. And the vast majority of people that are even capable of achieving those outcomes are miserable, right? This is the rock star that makes it huge. They've got all the money. They've got all the everything. They've got all of that stuff and they jump out of a building. Why is that? Because they're trying to fill a hole inside themselves with all of these accomplishments. Most people aren't really, truly passionate about stacking the chips, but that's kind of what our global society has decided. That's what's valuable. If you're good at stacking the chips, that means you're good at all of these things that equates to those outcomes. The problem with that is the vast majority of people are trying to do things to stack those chips 
that they don't want to be doing. And so they're miserable in the process. So if they get those chips stacked and they arrive at the top of that ladder, there's still this huge empty gaping hole in them and they're not happy. Well, that's for chasing outcomes. That's what happens when we chase the big car, the big house, the big pile of money, the fortune 500 business, whatever it is. When the truth is we have all the resources we actually need. And if we would just get happy with what it is we spend our time doing right now in the present moment, day in and day out, eventually that translates into more than just those outcomes, but happiness, satisfaction, fulfillment. And it's the difference between pursuing what it is that I would do, whether I got paid for it or not, versus trying to figure out a way to make the monies. If I pursue the thing that I would do, whether I got paid for it or not, the majority of people that I've seen do that, and they're in that, they're providing value to themselves, they're doing what it is that they want to do. Translating that into those outcomes is super easy. People see that. People want that. It's the detachment thing. It's positive indifference. And when you're living in that state and you're pursuing what's valuable to you, other people see it. You don't have to sell it to them. Do you think that more people are waking up to this fact? Sorry for the use of the word waking. <laughs> I just already <laughs> used that like as a almost like a negative thing earlier. But what I was referring to, as you know, was like, you know, the extreme version of that. And like, you know, you see this in the spiritual community. Everyone's like, well, if you don't do it this way, then it's not right. And, you know, we talk about this quite a bit. There is a truth and there is the truth as well. <laughs> So in all of this, right, does that mean that you should not carry desires or does it mean that I'm not trying to oversimplify it, of course, but does it mean you don't have the desires or is it you back it with the right intention of how much good it will put into the world as you you fulfill yourself as well? Right. So my belief currently is, is that we all as meat suit inhabiting beings naturally have desires for certain things. I love cars. I just, I love cars, old cars, new cars, fast cars, slow cars. I love cars, right? And my desire for that, provided that it's actually for me and not to demonstrate my status or to check a box off or to show that, oh, look, I'm better than so-and-so because I have this kind of car. I think the natural desire for those things should be something that we pursue. I believe that most people, many people, a lot of people, people that I've encountered are pursuing those things for all the wrong reasons, right? They're trying to look good for their parents or they're trying to prove to their spouse that they made the right decision or they're trying to beat the neighbors across the street at what they can get all for the wrong reasons. So I think we should absolutely have desires. We live in a material world. If you remove capitalism and materialism from it, we live in a physical material world, right? Well, if you're going to be a whole being, the material is part of that in this experience, but pursued for the right reasons, right? What is it that you want? I want blank. Why? Uh... Because if I have that private jet, then that means I'm successful. Bullshit. That's for ego. That's for status. That's not because I've been in love with planes since I was a little kid. And this one plane company 
they started in my hometown and I know the guys that designed this and my grandfather took me through the factory and I've in love with these planes, right? That's a completely different desire than because I saw it in a magazine and some cool guy was leaning against it, you know, getting off his private jet with this hot chick and this briefcase, obviously it's full of hundred dollar bills. Like that's not appropriate as a desire in the sense of pursuing what it is you value from my perspective. And that would mean that we always have to kind of, especially people who are in that space of deeper awareness and are, are trying to sort their own gaps, if you will, or, or things that they feel are missing in them or in their lives, if you will. You have to kind of cross check that, hey, I want that car, but really ask the question, what need is it truly fulfilling in me? Or what do I think I don't have that if I go buy this thing or I do, you know, make heaven and earth meet and I get this thing that I want, it's going to keep me in a state of pure bliss or joy. So it's always like kind of circling back to that core understanding of why the heck am I doing the thing I'm doing? And why do I want the thing that I want? And what will it give me in return that I think that I don't have now in this present moment. Yep. Am I trying to fill a hole or am I trying to fill an experience? That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Wow. What do you want? Me? Yeah. What do you want? I want to leave the world in a better place than I found it. <laughs> Not quite fair me putting you on the spot like that, is it? Yeah, man. Who does that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you do. <laughs> Well, you want to leave the world in a better place. Why is that? Because I think that it would be nice to have Earth taken care of. And I don't want humans to, you know, make it shittier than it is in, in the way we're chasing things. I want the next generation to have clean water. I want them to be able to have clean air, you know. And I don't even have kids of my own, but I, I hope Earth stays, you know. Yep. It, on the one hand, it seems like it's on its way to hell in a handbasket, doesn't it? It does, but isn't like all of human is history a little bit like that? And I have a feeling like it will adjust to us. It doesn't need to self-correct. It's us that, like, you know, humans need to self-correct at this point. Mm -hmm. And yep. yeah, that can be a little heartbreaking at times, especially, you know, I <laughs> I identify as a highly sensitive person and a creatively inclined individual so that part does break my heart a little bit because i have i know little little kids my friends family uh, their families and and some of the kids that i work with when i travel and do some of the youth-led work that i do and that always sits the back of my mind like how is this going to continue and how will they cope and are they going to judge us for being so messed up when they look at <laughs> our social media and the future Look at the way we made decisions. And and I also believe that, to probably tape this on here as well, is that I, I do still believe that we're, anyone who's around now, I feel like we're at a very like full part of human history, like a really good part of human history. Like Just think about it. You're almost 13 hours away from me from a time zone perspective, a few oceans apart for sure. And we're having this conversation. We're talking about all kinds of things. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that, you know, I'm a brown girl living her life, whereas I know it would be very difficult if I was born like 80 years ago. I wouldn't have this life. I, I wouldn't have the choice to have this, right? Mm -hmm. 
So that kind of bigger sense of gratitude always prevails when I feel like it's going to the the gutter. (laughs) So, you know, Oscar Wilde said this, I think he said, like, you know, everyone's in the gutter, but some of us are looking at the stars. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So I just lie there in the work and still look up and gaze at the cosmic (laughs) alignments that are out there that I can't even like understand some days. But, you know, you got to dream. Otherwise, what's the point? I totally agree. And I think that's why humans get to be a little different and can can actually do different, better things with the world, I, I would imagine. But but I also see, I don't know if you see this, but I see the, like, you know, I, I hang out with like, let's say a five or anywhere between five to 10 year old, or even sometimes younger. And I just see like, they get things so quickly. Mm-hmm. And I walk away from those moments often with like my heart, like even more warmed up and gentler than I might've walked in because kids have that effect, right? Kids and dogs, I think can do that with me. And I think I think I have zero patience with humans, but these are the two things in the world, kids, and I shouldn't call them things, but two experiences when I'm around kids or I'm around animals where I just feel like, whatever you want, man, like I'm at your mercy. But I do, when I walk away from those or when I, you know, step back after I have the experience hanging out and whatever, I I do feel like it's going to be okay. So I don't know if it's it's naivety or I, I don't know what it is, but I feel like this next gen that's coming up is already a little plugged into what they want and don't want. And, you know, you have kids. I don't know if you feel that sometimes that, hey, it's it's going to be okay. Yep. So I have a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old. And one of them, if everybody in that generation and the generation behind them was like them, oh yeah, this would be fine in 20, 30 years. The other is on the path of Gen X or or the baby boomers where it's like, this is here for me to use in whatever way I see fit. And it's not a thing for me to take care of. It's here for me. It's an interesting question. We've come a long ways in a short period of time. And I guess it depends on whose rhetoric you listen to as to how you draw your conclusions as to where the world will be in 30, 40, 50 years. I think there's a lot of things that happened that we don't actually have control of or affect or are the cause of. And I think that when you put 8 billion humans on a planet at the same time, there's a lot of things that we actually are the cause, the the problem, right? It'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm in my early 40s, so I would assume that I've got another 40, 50 years. It'll be interesting seeing where the world's at in 30, 40 years from now. I agree. I already just had a picture of like turning on the faucet and no water coming out of it already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just so yep. I'm there very quickly. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, there's always room for a little bit of hope, right? Uh, despite mm-hmm. seeing what we're seeing, because how else do you innovate? How else do you do different things? And do you have moments where you feel like, do you question yourself sometimes in the, am I doing enough for the collective? Do you ever question that at all? That's an interesting question. I don't consciously think about that. I do consciously think about how I can contribute, but I don't consciously think, am I doing enough? I think there's a lot of archetypes is is an interesting word. I think there are a lot of different archetypes within the human race. And I think there are different people that are geared towards doing certain things. 
this go around for myself is much more uh, how do I better myself and as a byproduct, my immediate family, my community, and then outward from there because I'm making myself better. That is constantly on my mind. I love that because I think this is the part that, you know, when you're talking about archetypes and, you know, some people are just wired to think like, oh, I didn't do my impact stuff, you know, which is great. I, I don't disagree with that that person, don't disagree with anybody. But I do think what you're speaking to is very important because if we're not sorting ourselves out at an individual level, then how does the ripple effect happen really? Mm-hmm. And I think that's very poignant because I think it, many people self-reflect, but then what do you do with that self-reflection? And I, I always say like change behavior is the real answer to anything that you were dissatisfied with or want to correct. Mm-hmm. So starting where you are within yourself first is critical. So that was part one of Neelam's interview with Landon Porter. On the next episode of Words and Voices, you'll hear part two of the interview, where Landon describes the concept of God mode. He also talks about how meditation is a great way for people to connect with the bliss they're often seeking. Thanks so much for stopping by Words and Voices with Neelam Tawar. We can't wait to see you again with another voice and more words from game changers, movers and shakers, and quiet visionaries creating a dent in the world. Oh, and please don't forget to comment and share what resonated with you here or on info at neelamtawar.com. Till we meet next, and as Neelam says... Be good to you.